0: You're listening to the Movie Crew Podcast. Tonight, we'll be discussing the 1997 sci-fi horror film *Event Horizon*. Our dreams—they feel real while we're in them, right? It's only when we wake up that we realize something was actually strange. The middle children of history, man—no purpose, no place. We have no great war, no great depression. Coming to get you, Barbara. We're on a mission for God. buy oh that for a dollar! Welcome to the party, pal! Let's put smile on that face. All right, sweethearts, you heard the man. Pull him out. Come on and have him. I will show you where I have made my home while preparing to bring justice. Then I will break you. How great was a spiritual war. How great depression is our lives?
1: Welcome to the podcast. I'm Brian Elkins. With me tonight, musician Paul Williams. What's up? What's going on, Paul? So we're talking about uh, 1997's Event Horizon. Is this the first time you've seen this?
0: No, 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 no. I saw this movie back in the 90s. Uh, I would say it was probably ninety, late, maybe late 97, 98, probably closer to 98, 97. I remember seeing the trailers for it, but I never actually went and saw it in the theater. I didn't see it until it actually came out on VHS.
1: I'm pretty sure I saw this in the theater, or at least I... I know I had HBO this year because I saw that uh, when HBO used to do those HBO first looks. I saw this yeah a couple of times. I'm pretty and sure it, I saw it. It did that get day. quite a bit of
0: play. It did get quite a bit of play on HBO, though. I do remember that.
1: This is a film directed by Paul W.S. Anderson, who at the time was going, um, I think, just as Paul Anderson. But there was another Paul Anderson that was also directing the guy that did Boogie Nights. I think he switched his name now yes. to – he's P.T. Anderson, and now this Paul Anderson is Paul W.S. Anderson.
0: Don't want people to get confused about that.
1: Yeah, yeah. These are two very different filmmakers here. Like Paul Anderson makes more oh, dramas Oh, totally there. different filmmakers. One of them directs action movies. The other one directs uh, art house dramas. So there you go. Very different filmmakers on very different ends of the spectrum here. And actually now at this point in career, now Paul Anderson uh, – well. Paul W.S. Anderson, he's he's done some movies that, I don't know, his career has had some ups and downs. I know a lot of people give him shit for doing that first uh, AVP, um, Alien vs. Predator
0: movie. I don't know, man. I will say his probably most known movie would probably be Mortal Kombat. Well, that was his only other movie before Event Horizon. Yeah. The people that played Mortal Kombat, that's the movie they wanted to see.
1: It, it's the movie you you wanted to see because you were a teenage boy yeah yeah, yeah. and I, I,
0: you know man we grew up playing mortal kombat you know
1: and i will say like that's like that's his director's kind of bread and butter like uh his earlier films i i actually kind of like these because i feel like they were made for my teenage adolescent mind uh you look at mortal kombat mm-hmm. event horizon uh soldier and resident evil like yeah i was really yeah. excited about all those as a teenager and uh, they keep bringing up when you watch the, the behind the scenes. Or, and, you know, you should watch the behind the scenes in this film. Uh, it's a nice, good two-hour documentary on the Blu-ray. And there's a two-disc, uh, two-disc set uh, DVD that also has this really nice two-hour documentary. Got a good commentary on it. And pretty good package for Event Horizon. If you're a fan of the movie, you would be pleased. But they keep bringing up that Mortal Kombat like, did really good in the United States. I just thought that was kind of amusing. They were like, yeah, it'd be good for the U.S. Because nobody else would like this stupid crap.
0: Yeah, I could see that. (laughs) (laughs) I could definitely see that.
1: That's kind of like what they were, I don't know. It kind of seemed like that was their attitude. But, uh, yeah, this was was Paul Anderson's next movie, man. And he turned down a lot of films. He turned down X-Men.
0: I know he turned down X-Men. And he also turned down the second Mortal Kombat movie.
1: Well, that was probably a, that was Which probably was, a smart career move.
0: Yeah, that was. I was getting ready to say you took the words out of my mouth. Uh, one of the smartest things he could have done was just be like, "No, I'm not touching that with a ten foot pole."
1: This film had a pretty good budget. Uh, it was sixty million was their budget? It only grossed twenty six million in the U S. Don't have worldwide stats. Yes. um, But that's not that's not good.
0: Paramount wasn't really trying to market um Event Horizon that hard because they a few months later had Titanic coming out. Yeah, this is the year of Titanic. And I mean not only that, but when Event Horizon was released, there were other movies that were kind of bigger movies that were were released around the same time.
1: Yeah, no, this was released uh now it's not the biggest summer month, but it was released in August of 1997. So yeah, this this was a summer film. Like Paramount put this up, you know, for all for all the Friday the Thirteenth fans out there. We know how Paramount treats horror films. So for them to put up sixty million dollars in nineteen ninety seven to a director that's thirty years old on his second movie, that's a really big deal.
0: But I mean, I still, man. With that being said, I still don't think that that you know, Event Horizon. Is a movie that is bad enough to where it should only have made that amount of money. That movie should have made at least, you know, at least should have broke even.
1: Yeah, well, I, I definitely think bad reviews kind of hurt it. It did not. It didn't. It did not get the best reviews.
0: No, it didn't, and it got a lot of comparison to to Aliens.
1: Look, Event Horizon steals a lot from a lot of other science fiction films that came before it. Like, there is no question about that. Nobody's going to argue that point at all. But I will say, this movie has also gone on to influence a lot of science fiction films after it's come out. So take that for what you want. Like, when they start explaining, like, how the black hole works on the ship, that is – that's direct – that's the same exact thing that Interstellar did explaining a black hole. You know, so it's it's like, what? You know, Interstellar copied a scene from – Event Horizon. There you go.
0: Even even video games. Like it was really weird because I, I I'll never forget when I when I played Dead Space for the first time. It was just like wow. This, oh yeah. This game almost it does almost kind of have this like Event Horizon kind of feel. It was one of the guns you actually use in Dead Space is
1: oh it's like that spear that they uh, they're repairing the ship with. Yeah. Which doesn't yeah, – dude, basically it's, I don't do repair work at all, thing. but come on, man. Like how how does that thing – how is that working? Like it seems to me like if you're putting like a giant <laughs> spear into a hole of a ship that needs to be pressurized, that that's just always going to be bad. Like is that is that thing going to be airtight? I, I don't know. I'm not a NASA scientist.
0: The way I kind of chalked it up was the fact that it kind of works like a pop rivet, but it's a rivet with a big – the old spike on the end of it that can be used as a weapon
1: hey did you notice too man like when they're in outer space and how much the doctor is smoking jason isaacs is the actor um really good actor like really yeah. great british character guy um he's in a bunch of paul anderson's awesome. films dude it's so weird seeing somebody like you're smoking in outer space how is that ever a good idea
0: total 90s movie Cause you ain't getting away with all that, all that smoking in movies today.
1: I think smoking—if you're gonna be in any any genre of film—but if you're in a sci-fi outer space film, I think that's the the only film you should never see a cigarette in ever.
0: Yeah, well, they brought cigarettes with them, I guess. I don't, I don't, I don't know.
1: <laughs> I know, but what I'm saying is, is that they're in outer space, so there's all that oxygen around. In an oxygen-rich environment? (laughs) Like, why would you? Like, you know, like when NASA goes up, they work so hard to make everything non-flammable. And NASA takes everything flammable out. Like, you can't, there's no way you could bring a lighter onto a NASA space shuttle. How is this dude lighting a cigarette? You know, it's just, that's one of those things in movies. It's just, man, it's always
0: bothered me. Okay, this movie takes place in 2047, okay? And they still use CD's? Oh, dude, what do
1: you – no, you dude, that- what do you – no, wh- why are you complaining about CDs? The guy has a tape recorder. <laughs> he has he has an audio cassette player.
0: Oh, yeah, he does. We're
1: in the movie. I mean, <laughs> how yeah. are you – you're complaining about CDs, man? Like, that's technology that was dead in
0: 97 pretty much. Well,
1: I guess it wasn't dead yet. No, they still had – no. they still had audio tapes in 97.
0: Nah, they were getting phased out at that point in time, but yeah, man. I mean, it was just like those two things kind of, kind of like got me. I was like, wow, they're still relying on handheld, you know, tape recorders. And, well, I and just, compact discs.
1: Well, I just uh, to be honest with you, I just assumed it was an homage to another science fiction film that I have yet seen. That's what I assumed because it's yeah. such a specifically like weird thing to bring. They spent money on this film. It's just like, well, why do you have a t- a tape deck? Like, I know you would have yeah. had a prop built that could have done the same thing. You could have made some cool gadgets. So, I feel like it was completely done on purpose. I'm just not 100 percent sure what the reference is. We we always talk about special effects, but this film, I feel like being in 1997, has a lot of model work and
0: CGI in it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: A lot of CGI. Uh,
1: you know, I don't think there's oh, that much. Was- I don't think there's that much CGI in it.
0: I don't know dude that there's the some of that CGI man just watching it now it did definitely did not hold up. Well it's
1: 1997, <laughs> okay? So yeah, yeah, but uh I would no mo- all the ship stuff is models. They look good. I think all the model work is incredible. I think the production, the set stuff, like when they go oh, into it's amazing. the Yeah, when they go into that drive um
0: yeah, the core, the core gravity drive.
1: Yeah, that thing was built for real and it looks amazing. It's got lights on it. Dude, that is super cool.
0: Just like the the color spectrums that they use like with the greens and the the blues and the reds and the you know, getting all that lighting done like that and looking good. I imagine that's not a a, you know, a simple task.
1: Adrian Bibble, the guy that shot this is the This is the guy that shot Aliens, man.
0: So maybe maybe that's the reason why so many people try to make that comparison.
1: I don't think anybody is comparing Event Horizon to Aliens. I think everybody is comparing Event Horizon to Alien, the seventy eight Ridley, the seventy nine Ridley Scott one. Yeah,
0: Alien. Yeah, Yeah, Alien.
1: Yeah, no, this guy shot the the sequel. He shot Aliens.
0: There was a lot of real production or uh, post production problems with this movie, um, too, from what I understand. Like they were actually only given six weeks to do all the editing,
1: so uh every director uh, in the directors Guild of america you get ten you get ten weeks to do a director's cut of the film so you can show the studio before he goes to testing yep. and all that stuff, and he waived his right and they gave he they gave him only six weeks, so he had six weeks to get an entire feature cut, and it was about two hours and ten minutes and I mean, Paul Anderson's come Mm -hmm. out, on you you listen to the the behind-the-scenes, you listen to the extra features. He says, it's like, yes, this was too long. There was a lot of bad direction in here. There was a lot of bad acting that was left in, and we need to go through and clean those moments up. But he also feels like the studio pressured him to make it too short.
0: But they also, like, apparently there was a big issue with the, with not only the running of the film, but the actual gore in the film, too. Like this film is definitely, gory. It's very definitely. disturbing. It's
1: got disturbing imagery in it for sure.
0: It, he wanted to go back and do a director's cut to have that released, but apparently, like the film doesn't exist. Like all the shit just doesn't exist anymore.
1: Like all the film reels are gone. Uh, they weren't mm-hmm. stored right, and I, mean, I was reading somewhere. I'll see if we can put it in the show notes. I was reading some article where they like, they were found in some mine or something. There was like some yeah, some elements. Eye. Yeah, it was really bizarre. Like, how did it go
0: from Paramount's refrigerated vault to somebody's salt mine? If I'm not mistaken, it wasn't even in the United States, I don't think. Oh,
1: I don't know. I'll have to go back and, and read the article. Um, but, yeah, we'll put, that, we'll put that in the show notes. This, these things do get lost. Um, I don't know how, really. Like, you think if you put film in a refrigerated vault on a lot that it would stay in the vault. But, you know, yep. I guess things have a way of walking off lots,
0: and people are dicks. What are you going to do? But I don't know, man. In, some, in a situation like that, don't you think that it would be pretty easy to find the culprit?
1: Yeah, and it's not like—I'm pretty sure Paramount's not super broken up about it anyway. It's not like, oh, man, we're yeah. going to make $20 million on Event Horizon being re-released. It's,
0: like, it's not like they took the uncut film rules for fucking Titanic. Which if that happened, then it would have been a shitstorm.
1: The first cut he did that was like two hours and ten minutes was located on VHS. So maybe we'll be able to see a work print or something like that in the, in the future. But as of right now, it looks like the footage is gone. Um, there is some extra stuff on the behind the scenes on the DVD and the Blu-ray that you can you can check that out. Uh, and there's even a um, a storyboarded sequence that they were originally going to have the uh, Lewis and Clark crew the rescue ship in the film, they were going to have a big action set piece in the beginning of the film with them to introduce all the characters, and they had to cut that out for budgetary reasons. And I, This film had, had a lot of production problems, but look, here's, here's the thing. That being said, I don't think adding some more footage to this film is going to make anybody like this movie. I don't think it's going to sway yeah. anybody's opinion. You know what I mean?
0: No, it's not, it's not going to, if you don't like the movie, then yeah, you're not, this isn't going to make it any better. Even if there was a director's cut made, I think it's a, it's a great movie. I mean, am I saying that it's the, you know, the best movie, the best sci-fi horror ever made? No, I'm not saying that, but I think the movie is very underrated for what it is.
1: You know, I feel like it's found its audience slowly throughout the years. Um, like Paramount, um, because, you know, this did pretty decent on home video. They were, you know, interested in doing this director's cut. And they couldn't release the director's cut because the elements didn't exist. So that's why they released it on uh, a Blu-ray. And we got a, you know, big two-disc DVD out of it. Vi- I'm not going to cry about it, though. I mean, I'm I'm kind of okay with this cut of the film. I usually don't like director's cuts anyway, to be honest with you.
0: Some movies, some movies, it it you know, I'd prefer the theatrical version. For some movies, I actually do prefer the director's cut.
1: We're going to take a break, come back, and we're going to spoil everything about this film. Stay tuned.
0: After seven years in deep space. 18 people on board this ship when it disappeared. I want them all accounted for. Opening outer door. It came back abandoned. Any crew? Negative. This place is a tomb. But it didn't come back. Alone. Captain Miller! I've got some problems here! This ship has been beyond the boundaries of our universe. Who knows where it's been? And what it's brought back with it. What is that?
1: What is it? This ship is reacting to us and the reactions are getting stronger.
0: What are you telling me? That this ship is alive? One thing to show you. Oh my God! It knows my secrets. It knows my fears.
1: All right, we're back talking about Event Horizon. So, Paul, what did you think of the opening credit sequence? Let's just get right
0: into it. I thought it was really cool, man. Like, I thought it was cool how like the Paramount logo came up, and then orbit starts. And I'm not talking about revolving around a planet. I'm talking about the 1990s techno band Orbit.
1: I saw this when I was a teenager. This was pretty cool to me. I liked it. The music's, you know, it's got kind of techno-y, you know, it gets you all jazzed. The credits, like, come in, and then they get sucked down into the black hole that you're constantly – the camera's, like, constantly zooming in toward – I'll be honest with you though, yeah. watching it now as an adult, it's my least probably my least favorite thing about the entire movie is how this thing starts. I don't like the That's music. Pretty, it, it's very
0: nineties. Well, I mean, you know, that was kind of like that whole that whole thing, you know, yeah, Prodigy prodigy. What was it? What what movie did the uh it was the Dust Brothers? Oh Fight Club. Fight Club, yeah. The yeah. Dust Brothers did they, the soundtrack for that. Go has a lot of that kind of 90s techno ravey kind of music. Uh, you can't forget about the Matrix, though, man. I'm not personally the biggest fan of techno anyway, so, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, these opening credits, man, and I'm not a big fan of them, but I will say this, it rectifies itself really quick. Man, the, dude, the model of this ship is freaking, it's really cool. Like, when all the lights are on it, Just the design of it, how it's got, like, this big head and then the small, like, little teeny, like, I mean, it's a super small little corridor, and it's, but it's really long. It's like a string almost that connects this back half that's.
0: I kind of thought that somebody designed the ship off of a fish. (laughs) Because it almost has this, like, fish kind of shape to it.
1: It was designed after some cathedral. Oh, yeah, that's oh, what they were going okay. – they went with a real, like, religious theme. And if you look, like, you'll see, like, a lot of – like, it almost kind of looks like a crucifix, kind of, like, how it's shaped, where it's really long, and then it's got, yeah. like, the kind of crossbow. And, like, there's the front window that's kind of, like – it looks like a plus or a crucifix
0: almost, kind of, in its shape. DJ, the the medical dude, you constantly see him, like, with the cross, that cross that he has around his neck. yeah. And so, yeah. That, I mean, yeah. I, I didn't really ever think about the re- kind of religious symbolism that is shown in oh, this movie. Oh yeah, it's yeah. Good they, point, man.
1: Yeah, they, they do both. Point. They do both sides of it. I mean, because I mean, even like later when we get in the ship, there's you know, there's very hellish going into the the bowels of the beast. You know, descent. Yeah. You know, like very so I mean, very that, on the
0: nose imagery. I really, I really kind of do like the like the uh, backstory text. In the beginning, too.
1: Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's, it's all kind of redundant information because you get it later anyway. And I, I almost wish yeah. they didn't give you the years in the film. Because, like, one of the first years that pops up, I think, is 2014. And it's like, oh, that's already passed.
0: Yeah, it's two, yeah, 2015. That's oh, the first 2000... year that pops up. Yeah, yeah, you
1: know, it's like,
0: eh. it goes from Because yeah, it goes from 2015 to 2020, 2047.
1: I understand why they did it, though. It's kind of cool in a sci fi film to set you up right away so you get all this information. Uh, I don't, I guess I don't hate it. I don't love it. It is what it is. We go from the ship interiors and we see that, and it's really just a dream sequence. It's a nightmare sequence that Sam Neal's character, Dr. Weir, had. And we're, he's the first mm-hmm. character we're introduced to. He What's is. really cool about this is that, you know, this sets up the whole bathroom, that this set later comes back into play on a repeat viewing it's one of those things you're like oh man dude that's that's so cool look he's right there
0: yeah because even even while he's shaving he even kind of like glares at the bathtub like right away you can kind of tell this guy's a bit depressed and 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 lonely
1: well yeah well he's got pictures uh of his wife all over the place you know he's got like a little wife Mm -hmm. shrine. it's the only thing that's even looks remotely personal in this very like sterile and kind of like NASA cubicle. I, well, you know what? We're, let's just go ahead and spoil it. The whole, the whole reason that they're even in the bathroom in the first place, that's where his wife ends up committing suicide. I guess she commits suicide because she feels that he was just never there. Uh,
0: Sam Neill's character, Dr. Dr. Weir was absolutely obsessed with creating the ship. Like it was so much of an obsession that it, it, caused his wife to kill herself. You can kind of tell that he holds a lot of regret and and even blame.
1: And you kind of get the feeling that that was one of the only people that his character could connect to. Because he does, Mm -hmm. man, he doesn't seem like he's got any friends. He seems like he's super depressed. And you don't really get a sense of, there's no timeline of like when his, how long his wife's been dead. My assumption was she offed herself while he was working on it.
0: Yeah, that's what I was. That's what. That's exactly what I thought too. Because it's like, well, why would you off yourself once the ship is finished? You know, then then he's got time for you. He's got all the time in the world for you. Then,
1: did he want to find this ship? Now, okay, now Sam Neill's character he has two nightmares before they actually arrive at the Vent Horizon ship. Now you don't you don't get this timeline. Did he know that this ship went to hell? Or went to a different dimension and brought something back. Did did he have that information before he was there, or did he assume that information, and that's why he wanted to go there? Was to maybe reunite? You know what I mean? With some like with his obsession and his guilt, did he want to be like reunited with his, I don't know, burning in hell wife?
0: It almost makes you if you if you go with that kind of theory, it almost makes you think. Well, damn did did the event horizon? You know, like kind of sub. Preliminally send him a message like I, beckoning him to come and find the ship. you know, and the movie kind of presents it that way. It's funny because he almost He almost has this like, this guy is this guy up to something?
1: No, dude, come on. You know he's up to something, dude. You know he's not giving all the information to all the characters.
0: I don't really think he actually knew where the ship had been to. But yeah, I mean your 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 question on whether he actually knew that that there was something wrong with the ship and just kind of led the crew like lambs to the slaughter. I can see where that one that makes sense and it would it's a very valid point.
1: We're talking about Sam Neil. We had that cool bathroom scene. I do like that one real cool model shot where you see him on the space station and the camera zooms out. It spins, it almost makes you a little dizzy. Like it's It spins out really fast.
0: A lot of the exterior, whether it be on the Lewis and Clark or the Event Horizon or the space station, I still think all the exterior shots of the ships still look really good today.
1: And then we we go from here and we get introduced to the crew of the Lewis – the Lewis and Clark. We get introduced to uh, all the crew members (laughs) – uh, <laughs> via Dr. Seuss writing the script here, it's like three or four times, like back to back, where people start. Ra- you know what? Let's just play the audio.
0: Neptune, there's nothing out there.
1: Yeah, and if the
0: shit goes down, we'll be on our own. You know the rules, people. If someone drops the ball, we get the call. Now, let's go. So you got a course plotted in? Yes, sir. Locked and cocked and ready to rock. Mr. Justin. <laughs> Everything's green on my screen, Skipper. Start your countdown now.
1: Ion drive will engage in T-minus 10 minutes.
0: Thank you, Lieutenant. Let's go.
1: Smith, you follow me.
0: Yes, ma'am. Justin, get those tanks prepped. Yes, sir. Mr. Cooper. Skipper. Ion drive in 10 minutes. Ooh, it's time to play Spam in the King.
1: It's hilarious, man. Like, everybody's
0: rhyming. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> uh, Spam in a can. Doctor Seuss Doctor in sci-fi horror.
1: The set designs here with the uh, the tanks that they put them in for you know to go in their Hyper sleep out to Neptune. I guess at this well, and, you know at this point they don't know what their mission is. They're just going to rescue some some something out in Neptune's orbit. They have no idea really what they're doing.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like basically they're like a salvage ship. They go out and salvage other ships and bring them back and get paid money by the government to do it.
1: And this is another reason I don't like the and date the way, here, man. Because like once you get the date, the lowest, the lowest and Clark, man, that ship. How long could they possibly have been operating out there? You know, it's like in yeah. in in forty years, like space exploration
0: just exploded. Again, uh, not the biggest fan of the text. The uh, even the crew members, they almost seem like they they can't. They kind of have this resentment towards Dr. Weir.
1: You know, it's like half alien and half aliens in the beginning. You know how like everybody kind of, oh, it's Sigourney Weaver. Didn't like Sigourney Weaver's Ripley character in the beginning of Aliens. It's kind of like the same thing here. It's the outsider, and we're showing that this group of people are really tight-knit.
0: They've been out for a really long time, and they were actually on a break, and they got pulled off their break to come and do this. And I mean, you know, who wouldn't who wouldn't that piss off?
1: And Kathleen uh, Quinlan, her character, uh, Peters, her Mm -hmm. son uh, is having some birthday party or something, and she can't she can't be there for the birthday. You know, and Lawrence Fishburne's like, hey, you know, I'm sorry if there was anything else or I could have gotten anybody else. I would have. But, you know, tough times, you know, you know how they are. Uh and then they go they go from that there's a, another dream sequence with uh you know Sam Sam Neil's character. Uh I didn't understand you know did we talked about these the the water hyperspace tubes that they they go to sleep in. I'm not 100% yeah. sure how they wake up out of them.
0: I, I don't know, but when they show the outside shot of uh Weir's little chamber like this dude has no breathing apparatus
1: on they they have a, a breathing apparatus i think the idea is that like somehow i don't know man it, it seems like it maybe like auto detects and i guess it pulls that thing out of your mouth and then it just dumps you <laughs> it does just like dump you yeah, out with so some excess like- water and it's like here deal with this crap
0: it's like being born all over again
1: and then of course they get the real cool mission they get the cool part where you know sam neil explains their mission and th- this is one thing i really liked about this where he starts talking about how the vent horizon disappeared. Like, oh, everybody knows about that. It's one of the big space disasters. So it kind of gives it like this big – Yeah, it's like, like
0: the Titanic.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like a 9-11 event. And then I like how Sam Neill just brings up kind of like this crazy this conspiracy theory where he's like, no, it vanished. We don't know what happened to it, but it showed back up. And all the crew members are like, What? They're just like – they're so irate. Yeah. They just don't believe this. It's like this is some conspiracy theory bullshit. I really like that. I thought that was extremely realistic and very good character
0: reactions. Favorite character in this movie has to be Cooper, man. Hey. Cooper is the man, dude. Come on. He's like the only – cop. he's like the only comedic levity in the movie. He's I know, like, but he, he kind he, of he doesn't said, belong. He said, like, he's, like, he's like, what the fuck? Do you speak English?
1: I don't know man I have to disagree with you on this I didn't like his character well okay I just didn't like what they did with his character the actor he did fine with what he was given but like all of his scenes felt like they just belonged in a different movie like even later on in the film when he gets he gets blown up and, and blown out into outer space and then his scene when he's like going back to the ship, he blows his air tanks, he's going <laughs> back to the ship, and then he's like, he says something like, I'm coming to get you now, motherfucker. Here All right, one, two, three. Come on,
0: come on. Come on, yes! yes, yes, yes. Here I come, motherfuckers.
1: Like, this whole film has got a very serious, it's just dreadful tone throughout the whole film with a lot of atmosphere. And that just, I don't
0: know, it just breaks yeah. it. I do kind of like the comedic levity that Uh, he kind of brings to the movie. I don't know, man. He feels like like he's in a different film. Like in this, like in the scene where you first meet him, you know, and he goes up. He's like, "Hey Stark, you want something hot and black in you?" I was, I thought it was funny, man. You know, they did
1: bring up on the commentary too when he he busts that line out. the The producer even brought that up and was just like, "Yeah, hey." Good line there, Paul. Way to go. And Paul's like, I didn't write that line. I think that was an ad-lib line from the, from the actor. <laughs> <laughs> we finally get to – we get we got our whole explanation and our story here. It's all laid out. So they're going to go see what happened to this uh, ship that has a drive that pretty much creates a black hole and it can go anywhere in the universe. I had to go back and actually rewatch the film because I was a little unclear about this. When they come across the vent horizon and it's in Neptune's orbit, I was confused. Like, is the ship in outer space or is it in Neptune, Neptune's atmosphere? It, apparently it is. They come out and they say it's in Neptune's, like, high orbit.
0: Yeah, when you see the shots of the ship, it looks like the ship is on the exterior of the planet.
1: What you're talking about, I think, is that uh, dream sequence in the beginning. Every other time, it, uh, I feel like it is, like, it's covered in those, like, clouds. It's covered, you know, it's got that very lightning, it's got the lightning clouds going on all around it. It's cool looking.
0: Also, you know, a, a great way to have this kind of dark and stormy night feel.
1: Yeah, no, I think it definitely approves, like, every, like all the atmosphere in the movie. Like, this was a great choice. Uh, yeah, Paul Anderson was, I feel like, right on the money with this decision. Like the set design inside, like the Lewis and Clark is, it's it's cool. I like like Lawrence Fishburne's chair. It looks like a normal sci-fi film from the the '90s kind of feel to it. It's a little claustrophobic. The docking bay area is kind of cool. I do like how the the floor you know sinks. But man, once you get inside the actual Event Horizon, like man, dude, the corridors, the sets, all this stuff looks amazing.
0: It does, and not only that, but the the just the sheer lighting. Of the movie once again, um, that, that I think that's kind of what makes it amazing. It's well, um,
1: it what makes it stand out, right? It's what makes it a little bit unique from yeah. every other space horror film. Like, let's just go through the ship, like you know, room by room. Like what the big entrance hallway connects the head to the back of the ship, and it's lined with explosives.
0: I think it's Captain Miller, Justin, and Peters go on the ship in the beginning, and right there when they're going in that airlock corridor. And all those, with all the gold lights and shit like that, I really, I really, really like that shot. A yeah,
1: lot. if you notice, that shot is really quick, too. Uh, apparently... It is. It's very quick. Apparently, when they were going to enter the ship, there was going to be no gravity at all. So they're going to be floating all around through the ship until they realized, once they got these actors on the wires, that it was just slowing them down. They weren't going to be able to make their schedule, so they just said, fuck it, we're not doing that crap. And if you look... Like right after that shot you're talking about, they they have they have this shot with their feet like coming down. It's an insert, and it lands on the door. And they're like, "Yeah, we have magnetic
0: boots." <laughs> oh yeah, and the boots magnetized to the floor. Yeah,
1: yeah. So that way the actors can walk around in the set from there on out with them out, you know, without having to put them on wires and stuff. Because man, once you get actors on wires, dude, that just slows you the fuck down.
0: I can see. I could definitely see where that would. That Hinder your your movements and shit.
1: But they do a bunch of really smart yeah, things, mean, man. Here, like I mean, even that long corridor, like we're talking about, like how they shot that. They only built like a really small section of that, and then they just put mirrors on either end to make it look like it was endless and just kept going.
0: It worked. It worked really good too. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't. One thing I kind of didn't understand though: the Justin character seems to be the youngest member of the crew. Why he sent. Justin to go inspect this gravity drive.
1: I don't know. I, and, just, and I just assumed dude. because he was like, you know, some kind of mechanic dude. I, look, okay, here's the thing. If Miller went to go look at it, then we wouldn't have had the cool horror moment that's about ready to happen. So, th- that answers your question right there, Paul. Yeah. Like, the movie wouldn't exist.
0: <laughs> that's true. That, that's very true.
1: I mean, look, dude, like, it, at the end of the day, this is a horror movie. One of the things I like about it is... Like yeah, this is a haunted house movie in space in a lot of ways, but yeah, in horror movies, characters need to do stupid shit to progress the plot. They need to do the dumb thing. They need to go into the room, and you're yelling at them, "No, don't go into the room." What I like about *Event Horizon* is that there's nowhere to go, man. You're in outer space. You can't. Just, yeah, so you can't run. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, you, know, you can't leave. You can't go to another
0: house. You can't there's, leave the state. There's no calling the police to help you out.
1: I do find that interesting, and it adds a layer of tension throughout the movie. I feel like, and they, I think they do a pretty good job for the most part of handling that throughout the film.
0: Even when Justin is walking down the corridor, you know, he even makes a comment: "Wow, this looks like a giant meat grinder," and it does. Like it, it, it looks like you're walking through a tunnel with razor blades spinning all around you.
1: Yeah, I like how it they, they has uh, the biohazard symbols on the door. <laughs> yeah, right, right on yeah. the entrance and then that opens up and you get that meat grinder I think this is where you get a lot almost all your Hellraiser imagery kind of takes place in this part uh-huh. of the ship I feel like going from that into like the gravity core or the gravity drive or whatever that room is man the heart of the ship I think is what Sam Neill calls it like that's that's the cool thing about this drive yeah. like, it's a ball and then it's got these other like it's got like two other layers of, like, these rings.
0: Yeah, it's like a gyro. It, it almost gyrates.
1: Yeah, and then it's got these know? lights on the end. Of, it's got, like, lights on the rings.
0: It has, a like, that whole entire room. Almost, like, kind of ominous, somewhat gothic feel to it. Dude, why do you keep saying somewhat? Like, dude, the
1: room is a giant circle with spikes. And another circle of spinning death in the middle. Yeah, like you can't get any more like frightening of a room than that. Like it just doesn't exist, <laughs> and it's got a very like I don't know. Yeah. It feels S and M, Hellraiser, pleasure pain kind of room to it. And, yeah, I can see that. And the set is built on the Bond. Like this is this was built on the Bond stage.
0: Yep, definitely was.
1: Yeah, the the giant uh, gravity drive set was. Uh, you know that was in the same room as a lot of Bond villain layers.
0: You know, the drive comes on. And it's cool because you actually see the drive, like, what it does. But there was one thing that I've always been a little, like, kind of confused about in that section. Was Justin actually hallucinating from the effect of the ship? Or did that gravity drive actually cut on?
1: I, yeah, I'd say that really would happen. I mean, there was no reason to think that it was an hallucination because I mean, he's affected by this later. Like, so yeah. like what happens yeah, is the is. the drive like lines up. There's a there's a black fluid that kind of comes in, and of course, you know, like we were talking earlier, dumb Justin goes up and he's like, "Hey, I'm gonna go poke the black liquid because I don't know what it is," and then like an idiot, he puts his whole hand yeah. in there and he gets sucked in.
0: Yeah, you need at least one dumbass in a horror film.
1: I don't know, man. I would say most most or, films have more than one, or more,
0: <laughs> or more. I mean, I didn't even think he actually did, like, say or try to communicate back to the ship, but because of the the gravity drive, it like scrambled his communications. Uh, no,
1: dude. I, I don't know. I, I I don't. I don't think that was the drive. I I think that was just you know some little bit of demon interference. You know, it happens.
0: No, just yeah, just a little bit of.
1: <laughs> You know,
0: uh, alternate hey, dimension demon in Uh uh
1: Sorry, guys. We're going to have to switch channels here. Uh, we got some hell coming through and uh, some Satan. The gra- like, once the K- Justin character gets sucked into the drive and there's that huge, like, gravity pulse, I think is what Dr. Wheel- uh, Doctor
0: sh- Weir-, Weir calls it. Yeah, she was through the entire ship.
1: Yeah, and it's got, like, dude, like, it just, as it's going, it's like, just, it's spark heaven. Like, everything's sparking all over the place. The Lewis and Clark gets damaged.
0: This is this pretty cool scene, I mean, man. One would think, yeah, yeah, maybe this is not the greatest idea in the world to go on this ship. At this point, it almost gives you like a this kind of Christine moment. It's almost like the ship planned this to happen to get the crew to come onto the Event Horizon. Well, yeah, so I mean, it can have them. Yeah,
1: that's exactly how they they kind of play it out. You know, they. So the idea is that. Let's just go ahead and, and and cut to it, is that the ship went to hell or went to a dimension that is a physical manifestation or something of what we would call hell. And
0: yeah, or what the human brain could fathom is being hell.
1: Yeah, whatever. It's some kind of interpretation, be it dimension, actually going to a physical version of it. It doesn't matter, whatever. When the ship comes back, the ship is – it's kind of possessed or it brings something – or it brings like some kind of life form or some demon with it. They, you know, like they do a virus, like not a virus scan. They do a life form. (laughs) They do a virus scan of the ship. Are you sick? a bio, a bio scan. (laughs) Yeah. They do a bio scan. Make sure if there's any like human life or anything like that. And they're like, Oh my God, it's, it's lighting up. There's life everywhere.
0: When they activate the gravity on the ship. Yeah. That one, that one, like armless torso that's floating around that has no eyes, but like, Deep oh, oh. Gashes all in it, and when they cut the gravity on, it just like falls and just breaks like a fucking statue.
1: Yeah, I I like that. I thought that was awesome. Uh, what well, I was kind of really impressed with, and they turn the gravity on, man. Like, so, like, when they first come in the ship, there's a bunch of loose things that's all floating around. It's kind of like, I don't know, it's really bad liquid. CGI, bad
0: yeah. It's CGI liquid.
1: Well, no, there's yeah, there's liquid, but there's like, I mean, no, it's like there's a watch and there's a water bottle. And like a book and, and a like, cup. Yeah, there's all kinds of stuff. It's all these CGI elements that are floating around and they don't look too good. But man, I no. thought when they turn the gravity on, that liquid that's in the core room, man, dude, that that is that's a really cool effect, how it just drops.
0: Because Cooper and uh Cooper and um Justin's characters both get completely drenched by that shit.
1: They start repairing the Lewis and Clark, and while they're repairing the Lewis and Clark, everybody starts to have actually certain people on the ship start having visions of some of the some of the things they feel guilty about or some wrong things that they've done in their past.
0: The ship kind of picked and chose them, you know. They're feeling guilty about something because I mean, you look at Peters; it, it really gets to Peters of the whole issue with her son.
1: They never say what's wrong with her son, right? He's just in a wheelchair.
0: No, they, yeah. You know, as far as I know, I can never actually figure out what was supposed to be wrong with her son.
1: They do show him in a wheelchair but, for one shot.
0: You know, she felt really guilty because she wasn't going to be there at his birthday party. Because the same thing happens with Miller, you know. Miller, you know, uh, the story gets revealed kind of later on that Miller was... One of the one of his crew members got caught on fire in space, and there was no way he could save him, so he just left him there.
1: Well, no, and it's like oh, it was—he was, was saving other people and everything. He didn't just leave this dude here. It was kind of one of those things, like yeah. he couldn't go back for him. He could, you know, and he yeah, feels he guilty about him. it. When the one character, uh, the mom, uh, Peters, when she has her vision with her son, she didn't say anything about it. But when Miller. Has his vision, Lawrence Fishburne? He's just like, oh, hey, wait a minute! I saw this guy coming out of the fire, looking me in the eyes. Something weird is happening here. And they have this conversation, like the characters are all talking. They did a good job of building this family unit, and they're carrying that through here later in the story arc, where these characters are not—they're not—they're not doing something stupid. Something's not no. right. I'm having visions.
0: When uh, Sam Neill's character, Doctor Weir, is in the tunnel and he's repairing one of the circuit boards.
1: Oh, yeah, with the green hallway.
0: That right there is kind of a bit creepy, dude. Because, like, that hallway goes black, you know, like that tunnel and or maintenance tunnel rather than it comes back on. And then, like, his wife's face is there with no freaking eyeballs.
1: Like, the green that's coming from these circuit boards that are on the wall, man, it's just a sickly green. And it, yeah, I like yeah. if you look at it too, you can definitely tell. Is I don't know what what lens they use, but it's definitely a wide lens because if you look at the, look at the walls or the walls, yeah, the side of the circuit board walls in the corridor, they're bowing on the frame. So, I mean, these guys are using a yeah. really wide lens and I bet you the space is a lot smaller than it looks, man. It, it does
0: come That's off claustrophobic. Of of you know, that, that dude, her eyes, man, his wife's eyes, just that, I think that seems kind of a quick cut. Like, it's a real quick cut right there because you only see her for like a brief second, and then the the everything's kind of normal in that little maintenance core and shit again. But I think this movie also kind of trying to tries to play up a lot on the jump scare factor.
1: They came out and said like you know that we had to add some jump scares to this to make it a little bit scarier throughout. And man, I mean the jump scares that they add are mostly like sound effects or quick cuts. Um, Or something will open in the background and just to throw your attention off something real quick so they can, you know, so you're looking at that so they can bring in the scary monster on the left side of the frame. Once they get toward, you know, the middle half of the film, they cut the jump scares kind of out.
0: Yeah, they do. They do. It's almost like in their argument, like, I guess it seems like the crew is trying to see if Dr. Weir has some kind of, like, explanationable answer, you know, to why they're hallucinating. And, I mean, he does give, like, a, a half-ass explanation. No, but I think at that point no, time, it,
1: no, dude, he, he is himself, totally blowing that crap off, dude. He is making up some
0: excuse. Oh, yeah, he is. Yeah, but I think he, he himself, at that point in time, still trying to figure out what's going on and trying to understand why all this is happening,
1: once he gets validation that they are also having these visions, I think he knows exactly what's going down or has a really good idea
0: of what's going down. He's, he's really intrigued by it, but at the same time, it it kind of confuses and, and, and terrifies him When, when they find the ship's log. Peters actually watches it and, you know, they get captain in and like everybody's, you know, everybody's all excited. You know, they're, They're going on this amazing voyage. The first, the first people to go to Alpha Centauri. It goes static on this twenty forty seven DVD.
1: I love how they like you know. Let's see if we can clean up this static. And like you know, that's (laughs) they watch it. It's really disturbing imagery. Like they see everybody kill themselves. Uh, And I love Lawrence Fishburne's reaction to it. Like right after they watch it, he's like, "Yep, we're gone. We're out."
0: They're having the most violent orgy ever, you know. And, and and once again, going back to Hellraiser, when they when they clean this this uh, log up, the the old captain, the captain of the ship, is like sitting there speaking in in Latin and shit. I remember even seeing this the first time I ever saw it. I remember thinking, like, wow, that is a total total Hellraiser moment.
1: You know, because the way it's cut and. How everything like the guys like gouges his eye. He gouges his eyes out, and uh, like apparently everybody else's because he's got like ten sets of eyes on each hand. It's violent imagery. Uh, It's cool stuff though. It's really disturbing, but also at the same time though, it's really short. You only see things for about I don't know like ten seconds or so. But the one I really like is when they is when they do the the flashes later, and you see all the crew members tied up when Sam Neill's showing things to Lawrence Fishburne. Now, that one I like even more. Oh, yeah. I think that one's really cool.
0: When, yeah, when he talks about your crew is here with me now.
1: Uh, th- but they're so short. You know, I do, you do feel like the studio maybe freaked out a little bit and, and cut them down a little bit. Uh, they're still
0: shocking, though. When Smith kind of gets to arguing with Weir, I mean, yeah, I can understand he's attacking Weir. You know, he's trying to, like, go after him and shit. But what? the hell was the necessity of dj fucking just like grabbing him and throwing the scalpel to his throat i mean i didn't think the the situation was that extreme for him to do that
1: you know he flipped out a little bit dude he's jason azix he's a crazy motherfucker dude you don't know what he's gonna do he's like look you missing with my captain i'll bust out my scalpel because he's got like 50 freaking things on his shirt he's got like a scalpel he's got a stethoscope he's got like a Presser, <laughs>
0: he's like I, the I am the doctor, man.
1: Yeah, he's like I'm. I'm the doctor in space. He's got some scissors poking out somewhere, you know. He, he's going to get things taken care of. Don't worry about it. He's got you covered.
0: I didn't understand why he did that though.
1: Like I just, I, I don't know. I just feel like it was the stress of the ship getting to him. Maybe it. It just. It is. It does come out a little strong and a little dramatic and a little bit like damn. But what I like about it and it doesn't make a, it's not a problem for me is that Lawrence Fishburne's character. Also reacts that same way, where he's like, "Dude, you need to chill the fuck out." If none of the other yeah. characters reacted to it, I would have a problem with it. But I, th- I feel like everybody reacted to it accordingly, and it was, it was okay. But okay, so at this point, the Lewis in uh, yeah. Lewis and Clark's been completely destroyed, and most of the characters end up getting killed off. Uh, Smith gets killed in the explosion because we're. Kind of goes crazy and plants a bomb on the ship. It blows up. And they finally have that confrontation with Sam Neill's character. Where he's he's sewn his eyes shut.
0: I think the lighting is really good. Like when, when Weir's kind of giving his little speech right there. The blue lighting that kind of hits his, you know, just one side of his face. And vaguely brightens up the other side. Where you can see that his eyes are sewn shut. He has like this overpowering confidence about himself all of a sudden
1: like right before this like he we have that scene where we get that flashback into his apartment um you know where we see his wife kill yeah. himself and then he kind of gouges his
0: eyes out that, well that was another thing i was going to point out like look at look at weir's reactions when he goes in there and finds peter Like he actually has this moment of humanity, this moment of like empathy for her death. But then he goes straight from that into him fucking gouging his eyes out.
1: Yeah, it does something to him at this point. I don't know if it's possessing him or if he's actually kind of giving himself over to the ship. Because I do feel like this is kind of what Weir Weir wants. You know, Dr. Weir kind of, I feel like he kind of wants
0: this. Yeah, yeah, you, you almost feel that way at this point. You know, you feel like this is what he wants. And see, that's that's another thing what makes it interesting about what you brought up earlier um, in our discussion was the fact that did we're on some unconscious level get called back to the event horizon? Like he 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 knew that something wasn't right. He knew that this shit wasn't normal.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I think that's definitely one way to read it. Yeah, you can totally read it that the ship is beckoning to him. You can almost read it if you want to that he designed this ship for the purpose to specifically go to hell to meet up with his dead wife because you don't know when his wife died. Um, Or you could read it as he has an idea of what's happening before he goes out into space. But then once he gets out here, he definitely knows and he decides that it's cool. Or you can read it that he's just a totally innocent bystander in this, and he gets possessed by the ship. I think that's interesting.
0: Really, it just goes down to what you can interpret it as.
1: Yeah, I think Sam Neill's character is the most interesting character in this film for that very reason. Like, Lawrence Fishburne's a great actor, but but his character is just a very generic action hero. And like all these other characters that are supporting in here – they're not really ever given much of a backstory or we get just a little piece of a backstory, and a little bit of information here, enough for the scares to work and stuff. But like Sam Neill, I yeah. feel like you get you get more of a backstory on him than pretty much any other character in the film. Going back to uh, the bridge scene where he's got his eyes sh- uh, sewed shut and everything. I do like I do like the beginning. Um, I, I like your point on the lighting. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't like the end of the scene where the window the window gets broken. Sam Neil gets sucked out, and then Lawrence Fishburne he's fighting, uh, you know, to get back up. And then like once he gets through this door that's half open, like man, he doesn't have to worry about getting sucked back anymore. It just this felt a little low budget to me. You know what I mean? Like the the suckage of the window was a little inconsistent for my liking.
0: Yeah, I didn't. I didn't really care for that either. Like, I, I thought that was. I, I thought it was kind of a bit tacky, and uh, I, just, I don't know. I just really didn't care for that.
1: This is kind of my, I I don't care much for this third
0: act. They're gonna blow up the ship and use the forward decks as a lifeboat, basically.
1: Yeah, which they mentioned earlier, and you know it's gonna come back later in the movie.
0: That I do like that whole sequence when. He's going through the corridor and arming all the bombs. and Then you have the whole scene and the whole sequence with Cooper and uh, Stark. And then you have that shining moment that is in your face. Like, if that was in your face anymore and you didn't realize it, then, <laughs> Jesus.
1: Yeah, if you see this. That is
0: the- <laughs> so goddamn the shock.
1: Yeah, if you've seen The Shining you've seen this movie, it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely a very strong visual callback to that moment in The Shining where the elevator doors open and all the blood comes out.
0: And it's almost like they put all those tanks and, and all that shit in the ship just so they could have this moment. In the entire movie, it serves no purpose whatsoever.
1: No, no, no. That's the, that's the fluid that goes into the uh, cryotubes. Because if you look in that same room, because that's, that's the same room where Lawrence Fishburne oh, Yeah, the cryotubes. And, yeah and, and DJ had that talk about like uh, when he confides in the doctor and tells him his, his story about leaving the guy. If you look, the, the liquid, that's the same liquid that fills those cryotubes. So I guess it gets pumped back in or, and, and back out the cryotubes and it gets stored in that container. I thought that was really cool. It totally makes sense. Yeah, I dude, I love the production like design in this movie. Like, sh- it,
0: it's cool. I do too, man. The one shot, man, I think my favorite shot is when Stark and Cooper are in that hallway. And then you just see, like, the fluorescent lights. It's like this whole, like, a river of blood just comes running down the lights. And, like, everything just turns, like, the lighting goes from white to red.
1: I I, I- I'm just not the biggest, I'm not the biggest fan of the climax of this film, dude. Like, none of this stuff really does, like, the shining callbacks are fun, but (sighs) I don't really need them. I do, I do like Lawrence Fishburne going down and arming the decks and doing the bombs. Of course, when he gets to the last one, soldier that he left behind, he gets his guilt vision again, and he throws a fireball at him, and he gets stuck into the, the core room drive. He's got to run in that direction.
0: Definitely the Hellraiser moment in the movie. The makeup and special effects when you see Dr. Weird, and he's got his eyes, but then yet his teeth look like they've been fouled sharper and he has no hair on his head anymore. And he's got all these cuts and, you know, these deep lacerations all over his body. That to me right there is is the real um, homage to Hellraiser moment in this
1: movie. Yeah, the cuts are very reminiscent of those, that, that pinhead Like the cut look where it's like a, it's cut real deep, but it's scarred tissue. But man, I don't really like this, the, the fight here. Um, It just, it gets, it gets kind of action-y movie where, you know, Lawrence Fishburne's in the room and then Sam Neill, they're getting into like physical altercations here.
0: Lawrence Fishburne picks up the the CO2 tube and smacks him with it and shit.
1: I don't know. I, I guess it's kind of fun. Like I understand why you want it. You want this big climax for your ending, I just feel like a physical fist fight with uh, Hellraiser Sam Neill isn't really isn't really what I wanted for the movie. Uh, the visuals are cool. Like, I like the visuals. I like the fire. I like the way Sam Neill looks uh, in the makeup. And um, I really like that one shot where you can actually see they actually lit Lawrence Fishburne on fire. Like, how many fucking American actors would do that shit, right? Like... Oh my God, that's insane.
0: Yeah, no shit. Yeah, there's a great yeah. shot
1: where, like, his, sh- his like sleeve is on fire and you see his face and he is, like, putting it out. And it's a shot that's kind of in slow motion.
0: When Lars Fishburne is kind of down and, and Sam Neal's character kind of comes up behind him and grabs his face and he's like, Now I'm going to show you. And he shows him basically all the dead members of the crew and even some of the, like, Stark and Cooper who are still alive. They're still in that little sequence right there.
1: I mean, really, at the end of this movie, Lawrence Fishburne's character, man, Miller is going to hell. Or to whatever dimension it yeah, is. Definitely. Yeah, that's Yeah, I like the fact that they kind of kill off Sam, uh, not Sam Neill, but they kill off Lawrence Fishburne's character. Like, this is a horror movie. It's dark. You can't escape hell. And I, I thought that was cool. It goes with the horror movie vibe.
0: I really love the look on Sam Neill's face, like, <laughs> when he hits that plunger.
1: The characters that end up yeah. living at the end of the movie, I don't really care about them. Really Stark, you don't really get much – you don't get a whole lot of scenes with her. I didn't care much for Cooper's character. And there's no
0: background on her. Neither, Well, neither Stark or Cooper. Yeah, I, mean, I, I really didn't – I would tell you what. I'd say I liked Cooper's character over Stark's character.
1: I didn't like the very end either with the dream sequence. Like, I don't know how else you'd end this movie. Yeah, I didn't
0: care for that either. I mean, I could see where they were going for that classic horror movie. The killer makes his very last appearance. You know, when you, when you think he's dead, he manages to reappear again. I would have much rather saw this movie back on Earth or back in the, st- the space station with Stark and Cooper with their higher ups basically asking them and interviewing them to try to figure out exactly how the hell all this happened. I would have rather seen it in like that. Well, they don't have to do that, man. They have,
1: they have the log, right? All they have to do is show them that. Boom. Done. I mean, that part of the ship survived. Well, they
0: could have played on something like that.
1: It's okay. I don't really have that big of a, an issue with it. It just seems a little cliched, and eh, I I don't know. It just doesn't wow me. That's really what it is. But that's Event Horizon. Paul, what are your final thoughts on Event Horizon?
0: Really good movie. The lighting is beautiful. The storyline is is pretty good. I mean, it's... Basically taking a ghost story and putting it in an outer space format. I don't really think any of the actors or actresses did horrible jobs um, on the movie. And I think it's a really good sci-fi horror movie to watch.
1: Yeah, I I, I pretty much feel the same way. I think it's uh, it's a pretty solid entry in the uh, sci-fi horror genre. You know, it's just something you don't see every day. It's got really good production design. It's got really good lighting. The crew that's worked on this movie did a really fantastic job with everything. I have problem with some of the performances. I, you know, I don't. Well, I don't really. I just don't really care much for the la- the girl that plays Stark. Very attractive uh, actress, but I don't know. I thought she was she was a little wooden. Um, I didn't like care much for how the Cooper character was written. Love the actor some of the effects are a little dated but man dude the model stuff looks really good and it, I think it's it's you go back and look at this movie it's one of those ones where you can see models and CGI in the in the 1990s and you can see kind of this transitional period in in effects and how we how we work with effects and I I don't know it's it's interesting to watch in terms of a historical perspective and that in that regards I think it does add a lot to the uh, sci-fi horror genre. It's it steals a lot from other movies. I don't think it's completely original, at all whatsoever. But that's okay because it. I think it steals enough from eno- uh, di- enough different genres and enough different films that when it puts it all together, it it's kind of a different movie in the end, and it it does something new. Uh, if you want to sit down and and watch uh, a, a fun, well, I don't want to call this movie fun, but if you want to sit down and be, and be scared and creeped out and yeah, hey, check this movie out. Do yourself a favor. Give it a watch. And that's our show for tonight, ladies and gentlemen. You've been listening to the Movie Crew Podcast. And we're closing out the show a little bit different tonight. We actually have a giveaway for you guys.
0: Yep, We have Wes Craven's Deadly Blessing poster, which was a, a special pre-order for movie from Scream Factory. So if you're the 43rd person to send us an email, you get a free poster.
1: Yeah, just put, like, you know, poster or I want this poster in either the subject or in the body of the email. So we'll know. And the, the 43rd email we get in, we'll let you know if you won. That's so pretty cool. Get a free poster. That That's all right.
0: Yeah, I'd like to get a free poster.
1: It is pretty cool because it's actually, like, exclusive artwork that they did for the, the cover. So uh, if you look at the Deadly Blessings cover that Scream Factory did, that's that's the poster that we're talking about. Um I think it's like 18 by – it's not very big. It's not like a full-size poster or anything. It's not 27 by 40, but it's the one that Screen Factory gives out. So if you missed it, here you go. You got a second chance.
0: Yeah, we also want to do this, you know, show a little bit of appreciation and love to all of our listeners and and all you guys that enjoy the show and and come back every week to to listen to it. So, you know, it's a little bit of a thank you gift.
1: And if you want to know that email – it is in the show notes. But if you're you know you're feeling lazy and you just need to know it right now, that email address is themoviecrew at gmail.com. That's the movie crew. Crew is spelled C-R-E-W-E. That's right. Extra E at the end at gmail.com. And we do have a, a voicemail line. Um you don't really promote it that much. Nobody seems to use it at all, but uh, if you guys want to leave us a voicemail, uh that number is 323 323- Five three nine eight six six one. That's three two three five three nine eight six six one. You guys can drop us a line. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're at Movie Crew Pod. And you can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast.
0: Now we are also on Google Play. Yeah, so we're on there. So
1: so go rate us. Go listen to us. We appreciate the support.
0: Yeah, tonight our musical selection is from the Event Horizon soundtrack, the song Forward Decks by Michael Kamen and Orbital. Enjoy this 13 minutes of orchestrated techno.
1: No, okay, I you say you, you say 13 minutes. It, I actually think it's like a, c- closer to 14. I'm looking at the counter right now, it's like 13:59.
0: Sorry, I lied to all you guys. It's closer <laughs> to 14 minutes, so please enjoy.
1: Please enjoy. Please enjoy your extra minute of techno. But you know, what's really cool, though, just, you know, I we'll was set this up for the audience before they get ready to listen to this is it's really weird how it goes from this orchestral piece and then it'll go into the very techno-y sounds.
0: Song's almost a quarter of an hour. Wow, when you say it that long. way, that makes it sound really long.
1: But yeah, uh, take a listen to it. It's got some uh, it's got some nice interesting uh, changes that you know, I didn't I didn't really notice at all in the film. So take a listen. Enjoy.
0: Thanks to everybody for listening to the show and we'll catch you in the next episode.